if you're here last week, hopefully you kind of know where we're going with this new message series that, that we've launched. It's kind of a short one, but I think it's important. Uh, it's entitled Micro Mastery, which may or may not be a word that you've ever heard of, or perhaps you have and you don't really know exactly what that means. And hopefully by the time we get done, you'll see how it has hope, uh, a great deal of relevance for your life and your walk with the Lord. Um, as uh, we move into it, uh, we're in the second part of the series, building on what we shared last week about eating right. And if uh, you're here, you know that it's important for us as we develop and as we mature as human beings uh, to eat the right food at the right stage. Now, if you're an infant, which I think I heard a little kid in here just a little while ago, you know that your nourishment is probably going to be different than as an adult. And if you're especially little, uh, it's going to be the mother's milk or insure, or not insure, uh, boy, I'll tell you, how, tell you where I'm at on the continuum. Uh, yeah, that's the Freudian slip for sure. You know where I'm looking at now, like, oh, that's waiting for me. Um, but uh, anyhow, uh, you know what I mean. And the whole point of it is, as God is working through each of our lives, and your life, and mine in particular, he's trying to draw us into maturity by helping us to manage and develop into and grow into different important life processes. To micromaster certain things, like just going from being bottle-fed to spoon-fed, and then from spoon-fed to self-fed with spoon, and somewhere it can break down along the way. And if it does, it, it seems so odd to have a middle schooler who's still being fed by, by, their, by their mother, unless there, there's another issue involved. But typically, that's normal development. And yet, when God is looking at us, loving us, and accepting us exactly as we are, He's longing for us to become who He's designed us to become. He want us, wants us to grow. Scripture says, you need to learn to eat more solid food. You need to learn to take not just the sermon and use that as your basis for expanding your faith into the week, but begin to feed yourself and find ways to take the Word and integrate it into your life and move through life with the wisdom that it provides. And my hope is that we can help you do that as God has helped us do that at some point. And we all can get stuck if we're not careful. And if you've ever had little kids and you try to feed them whenever they're transitioning in those places, you know how willful we can be. Matter of fact, um, God is trying 10 different ways to get us to see it. And sometimes we just don't get it. And sometimes he just has to use extreme means to get our, our attention. Now, I'm getting ready to show you a video clip. And, you know, Brian, because these guys are sitting down, could you just bring that chair up here for me uh, as a friend? And popcorn as well, because uh, I like watching movies sitting down. And this one's only a short one, but still, um, if I'm going to really be a powerhouse in the faith, i got to sit down and eat popcorn. So, here it is. Okay, now you're thinking, all right, Pastor, are you going to start beating on us to get us to read the Bible? No, I, we're not that kind of a place. But sometimes you sort of have this inclination, like, well, what is it that we can do to help people to see that God has something incredible in mind for us as believers, both individually and collectively? The blessings that begin to flow into our lives as we start to grow can only happen at our rate of maturity. But when they do happen, if you talk to somebody who's been following the Lord for a while, and 
doing it consistently and learning and growing and developing, they'll tell you, yes, I have struggles, yes, I'm willful, yes, I have all of these things that God has to deal with me uh, in, but I know that when He does, it is so, so worth it. And as God is looking at you individually, in one way or another, He's saying, I want you to grow. You should grow. And you should grow no faster than the rate of growth that is wired inside of you, but also no slower. And as we're going through the series, and I'm thinking about the first thing that we have to do is just move from milk to meat, and maybe you're wondering, what is the meat in this equation? And, it, it, and I boil it down to four things. And, and the first one is, the meat is just the Bible. And if you're maybe like me, you struggle with reading, uh, I discovered as I got into my journey that God gave me an appetite for the things that involved Him in my life and my desire to read began to grow and my ability to comprehend expanded and I just wasn't a good student in school but all of a sudden I had an appetite for something I never had before and God was saying I'm growing you and I'm growing your capacity to read and comprehend as that happens. And trust me, he will do that. The next thing is to pray. And the thing that I believe about prayer is that God is always waiting for us to ask him to help us in everything that you and I do in life, everything we face, everything we struggle with. God wants to be a part of it. But I think a lot of us just sort of take the, the view, well, God will always be there in the background anyway, and, and truly he will. But God's looking for something a little bit more. He wants to engage you and I in the everyday of life, and he wants to be a richer part of it. But he's also a gentleman. He won't force himself into the relationships that you have in your home or the workplace that you struggle with your boss or with the, the workload. Or he won't help you with, or he, 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 he can't help you work through those things to the degree that he would like if you don't ask. So you start to learn to ask God to help you in the little things in life, in the course of any given day, every day, and you find that it creates a habit. The habit actually becomes a way of saying that I'm starting to get this prayer thing down. I'm starting to master it. And as I'm reading the Word, maybe I'm just reading a paragraph, but I'm thinking about what I'm reading. And that is the third thing you have to micromaster, and that is the ability to to read stuff, to step back, and to think about it. Now, one thing that I know that wars against us in the digital era is that it's easy when we are frustrated or when we have a need or when we're struggling to just turn to the internet and get distracted for a while and maybe just kind of calm our, our being a little bit with just checking out for a minute or two. What happens if you keep distracting yourself in that way, you lose the desire or the ability to step back and reflect on your pain, reflect on the thing that you have to face, the challenge that you have, because you're caught up in a habit of micromastering bad habits. And God says, I want you by design to reflect on your life. But when you do know this, just as you believe, like we just saying, you know, we believe. That word belief is really kind of fascinating because it's, it's, it's loaded with 
I think, a developmental idea. It's the initial, in my mind, I believe that there's a God. And it's the initial, in my mind, I believe this God is, uh, is out for my best interest. It, it, it is, I believe that Jesus saved me and he died for me. But then that word actually morphs into trust. Because it's not so much now I'm trust, I, I'm believing in those ideas or that God has that capacity. Now I am beginning to trust, as I say that word believe, that the one whom I believe in will help me every step of the way, no matter what. And when you move from belief in your head about something that you trust is true, to trusting the one who offers those truths in a way that says, I will be with you, then you're really starting to grow. And you're starting to actually feed yourself. You know, as I'm, as I'm looking at this chair here, and I, and I realize that it, it, it can represent what we do here. Where we come in, and, and, and the, the way the architecture is here, you hear a guy like me talk, and you hope that somewhere along the way you're going to grab some things that will help you in the course of the week. And then you can, you can just sort of walk out of here and, and do so, well, on your own. But that's the fourth thing that God's doing in your life. He's helping us to grow in relationship with each other. Because church by design is, well, it's learning to get along with people. It's learning to have conversations and also conflicts. And there you go. There you're like, okay, I don't mind coming to church. And I like the fact that I don't have to look at the person next to me. And I would even tell you, I love humanity. It's just people I can't stand. And we all have those things, don't we? And God says, I get it. And there are things about each of us that are not likable by any stretch. But God says, I want you to grow and to learn to micromaster the art of just relating to each other. Now, all the things that I've mentioned, the four things, just reading a little bit of God's Word, praying, stepping back, reflecting, and then relating, the thing that I want you to be aware of is that God is here to help you in every part of that. When you read the Word, He will begin to impress upon your mind things. He will nudge you in certain directions. He'll drop things in your head. When you pray, you'll start to see that when those words are uttered, He's already at work and you discover there's something to that and it starts to get traction in your life. When you reflect, you start to realize, hey, I'm not the same person I was a while back and I'm actually feeling better about myself because I'm, I'm growing. And when you relate, you start to shed a lot of things that were attitudes that were toxic because in, re in, in replacement of those God's Spirit is there to enable you to have a version of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that's not from you. 
And it's almost like learning to do a divine dance with the Lord. It's a way of sort of following his steps and his lead, and then and then you follow. And then you follow, and then and then God moves, and then you move. And you discover that something is real that is not quantifiable in the worldly sense, but it definitely is showing signs of making a difference in my life. And God says, that's just maturing. That's just what I'm pulling you into. And that's the thing I really, really, really want to see happen in the lives of people who haven't discovered it yet. And if they have, I just want to add, I want to help add more layers to the richness of that experience. And, and God has called me and other leaders to help in that process because he's already done it in our lives. Not, I'm not perfect by any stretch, but we've seen it, and we see that God is there because he promises that he will be a part of it. Matter of fact, the scripture that we're looking at today is, is one that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but it, it, is, it is how God is at work in the process. It's from Philippians chapter 2. And it was written by the Apostle Paul, who was wanting to see this church that he planted thrive. But it was kind of hard, because he was in jail for telling people about the gospel, and it was upsetting people, and so they incarcerated him. But he just loved this group of people in Philippi called the church. But he also knew they needed some guidance in their growth. And he said to them, Jesus is our example. He was God. He was fully with God, but he humbled himself in the form of a man, and he became one of us. And then he died a cruel and unjust death. And we all know cruelty and a lack of justice and fairness. And in that grave, the Father came and pulled him into immortality again and established him on the throne and once again, announced that he was King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. And in that little poem that is in Philippians 2, it's a way of just summarizing poetically the fact that Jesus came to serve. And if we are going to do what we do well, we learn to serve people rather than put ourselves first. So here's what he says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, therefore, okay. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more that I'm not with you. And? So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now one of the reasons why the chair is important, because it, it sort of symbolizes how we can approach our faith when we're just believers but not really trusters. We just hope that we come to church and it all happens the way it needs to happen. And if it breaks down somewhere, maybe the pastor was off or maybe the music was off, I didn't get anything out of it. And so, well, maybe you're thinking, we'll try something else. And you can take that approach, don't get me wrong, and you're free to come and go anytime you like. 
But that's not really where the action is here in this church. It's not in the sanctuary. This is really just, this is a, a cheerleading experience for what you have going on in the real world as you're beginning to trust God and grow into that. This is a way of kind of stepping back and at 20,000 feet, looking at the vision of what God has for your life and then beginning to live it out. But it can very well be we're sitting in our chair and we're just kind of giving it a scale of 1 to 10. Yeah, that was good. Or no, that wasn't so great. And that is a form of Christianity for sure. But it is not the form of Christianity that we find in the scripture. The kind we see there is actually about how God begins to go to work in our lives as we live them out. And I, I just want to I, 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 want to, I want to illustrate this rather in a lengthy fashion through farming. Now, when I was a little kid, there was a truck that spilled soybeans on the side of the road by our house. I saw the beans there, and I went and grabbed them out of the ground, or off the, off the road, and I went back to our house. I got some dirt, and I put it in a pot, and I shoved the seeds down, and I watered them, and I'm like, I heard these things grow. And I'm like a kindergartner. And couple days later I see something pop up and then it starts to begin to emerge and I'm getting pretty excited because those things on the ground didn't look like that when I grabbed them and now they're becoming something that I never really expected to see and then it grew and it, it became you know a, a bean plant that produced its own little beans and alongside it there was some corn and I put some of that in there and the corn started to grow but well the pot was too small and it never really yielded anything. But I learned something that I could grow beans. And that was about the last time I ever grew them for a very long time because if I wanted any beans I just sat in my chair and say, Mom, can you give me some beans? She'd give me some beans and I'd eat them and I'm like, oh, I don't like beans. And then later on people are like, yeah, we don't like you eating beans but we'll go those are for other reasons. As a uh, as, as, as you're just considering how it is that we either play a part or we don't play a part, God is looking at us and he's saying, there's work to be done. And if you look at all of creation, it says um, the heavens uh, declare the handiwork of God and the earth declares it's praise. And if you look in, in Romans 1, it talks about how, how could we ever not see the signposts all around of a creator? It's just embedded in it. Which leads me to what I want to share. Uh, my son Christian and I, uh, we watched a documentary the other night, and it was, it was profound because it underscored so much about, well, for me, about what I do here. And it describes the story of a young couple who lived in Los Angeles. She was a food blogger and liked to go and, and go to um, uh, organic farming places. And, and she just kind of had farming in her DNA. And he was a filmographer, a, a videographer, whatever, cameraman for people in Hollywood. How's that? And they got a dog from a rescue place. And his name was Todd. And... They took Todd back to their L.A. apartment, and when they went to work, Todd barked all the time. And the neighbors got fed up, and so did the landlord, and they say, you know what, they're evicted. And they're saying, what do we do? And their whole idea began to 
percolate into something that they never expected, and that is, why don't we start a farm? And long story short, they found a way to, 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 to capitalize it and uh, to resource it, and then they created a documentary of eight years of life on a farm an hour north of Los Angeles in a place where formerly avocados grew, but currently there is drought, very hard ground, and a pretty dead has-been avocado grove. And their vision was, how can we create an environment that is teeming with life and all of those life features were reinforcing one another in a positive upward way. And so I'm going to show you a trailer for this movie, The Big Little, The Biggest Little Farm. And then I'm going to expand on it because it in so many ways shows us how we can micromaster things that lead not only to growth, but to something that takes on a life of its own larger than ourselves. And I believe that that can happen in our lives individually if we tune in. And I really believe it can happen as a church if we're all on our game. Okay, so I'll tell you what I liked about that 90-minute program is I felt like I was there. I felt like I could participate in having a farm. I felt like, actually, by the time I got done, I didn't even need to do it because they did it for me. And it was so cool to be able to say, yeah, I experienced that. But did I really? And in our minds, we can believe that, yeah, I'd like to do that someday. One of these days, we're going to do something like that. But then we get distracted, and we lose focus, and it doesn't quite capture our imagination like it once had. We believed, but we didn't necessarily trust that it could happen. They believed, but they didn't really know that at every step of the way, they trusted that it could happen. And the reason I say that is because when they walked into this thing, and there's a lot of questions I know about how this all came about over the span of eight years, but I just want to share a couple of things that I, that I saw, and then I want to move that into your faith and mind together. And, and, and that's this. When they approached it, they knew that they didn't have enough knowledge to pull something like that off. And they received word that there was a guy named Alan York who was a specialist in everything agricultural. And his philosophy was, all things by design are made to work together. You know, kind of like Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love them. Huh. And as a, as a farm, there are so many features that are involved in the well-being of a farm that you have to pay attention to how they all work together. And you've got you to gotta look at it through a pretty long timeline of about seven or eight years before you really get proficient at it. It doesn't mean that cool things aren't going to happen along the way, and they really did. But this guru, this farmer who was the Jedi farmer person, he shows up and he stays with them for uh, a number of years. 
And at every turn, he says, you have to build layer upon layer the things that are necessary for that ground to produce. And essentially, it's going back to what it originally was before we probably took over. And he said the place to start is with the soil. Because everything that happens is going to be determined by the caliber of the soil. Well, if you looked at the shovel hitting the ground, you know the soil wasn't much to brag about. So what had to happen? A couple of things had to be thrown into the mix. One of them, manure. And the other one, worms. And there are a few other things, but basically what they did was got truckloads of manure, truckloads of worms, and they just started to spread them out and let them go to work. And before you know it, they had topsoil, or they had topsoil, which was essential for the next layer, ground cover, which was essential for the fabric that held it all together when it rained, because without the ground cover, you lose your soil. And with the conditions being what they are, you can begin to plant different varieties of plants. Please, please stay with me. But you have to learn to micromaster each step in order for it to be healthy in the way that it needs to be healthy. And like our Christian faith, there are things that once we kind of get into that routine where they're second nature, then clearly we're coming into that place where God is saying, you've gone from just getting your fire insurance paid up, now you don't have to worry about going to hell, if that's really what is driving you in this whole thing. But maybe, maybe it drove you here, maybe it didn't. Maybe like John and Molly and Todd, they were kind of driven out of their apartment and thrown into a lack of comfort, but into a place where they could start to envision what could be possible. I just think that's a God-given quality, honestly. And from their point of view, tech and everything about the fast pace, they just had to basically say, this is not contributing to our sense of well-being the way we would like. We're not healthy. And they go on this farm and it starts to kind of take hold and their guru has given them pointers along the way on what you should and shouldn't do and how it should happen and it's starting to really bear fruit. There's chickens that, that come upon the scene, there's irrigation that happens, there's a pond where ducks begin to fill it and then pretty soon there are trees starting to crop up in the orchard and they're fruit bearing and then there are plants that are also producing and well then it happens snails now right about this time gophers are also considering that real estate as their new residence but also as they've come to about step four in their micro mastery of things they get word that Alan their guru has cancer. And he dies pretty shortly thereafter. And their thought is, how can we continue this process without all of the guidance that we need from Alan? It is going to be formidable. We're, we're lost. I want you to stop and just hit the pause button here. Because the Apostle Paul is looking at the church at Philippi, and they're saying, if only Paul were here, we would know what to do next. And what Paul is saying to them I'm going to give you this letter 
And I want you to ask a couple of questions. One is, what would Jesus do in light of the problems that you're having within this church? How would he handle these relationships? How would he respond to people that made him mad that he really loved? How would he, how would he take your offensive statements that were maybe not offensive, but just take them wrong? How would he handle that? And Paul says, think about that humble servant who became one of us and then was exalted again. And ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And then he, he said in that, the, the first part of that letter, I'm in prison. I can't go there and help you out. But just try to imagine, what would I do? And so when we plus, press play again and we go back to this movie, John is looking at all of these snails that are attacking his plants. And they're, they're in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, just gobbling up the leaves and... Therefore, they can't produce. And then he realizes something, that you can't just take some herbicide or some pesticide and do that. That according to Alan, everything that is going on in this farm has a purpose, including the snails. And including, they'll discover, the coyotes. And everything that's going on in your life right now, believe it or not, has a purpose. That God says, I can take the conditions that you are facing and I can actually find a way to turn them around for good. Only God can do that. And many times we don't want to grow until we're threatened by those conditions. Until things happen that make us desperate. Or they scare us like, <laughs> like that mom did or child. It's a way of waking us up and recognizing we need, to, we need to continue to move further in the process. And quite honestly, these two were scared. And the, one of the cool parts about the, about the drama was he's like, the snails are eating the snails are eating the plants, the coyotes are now starting to kill all of our chickens, and Alan is gone. And he's looking at Todd in the field, and Todd's just staring. Like, what are you going to do about it? Anybody have any dogs that kind of stare you down? Like, what are you going to do about it? But Todd was more like, he was more like a, I don't know, wisdom guy. Like, you know what you should do. So John stepped back and he said, What would Alan do? And then it struck him. Why not, why not turn all of these geese that are in our pond loose on all of these snails? And when they did, all of a sudden, the snails were disappearing like the plants were a Pez dispenser. I mean, they were just gobbling them up. They were like kids in the candy store, and the snails leveled off. But then there were the gophers, and they're thinking, we got to kill all the gophers. And, of course, you're thinking Caddyshack, you know, just blow them up. But that's not the answer here because everything has a purpose, right? You ever feel like just blowing something up in your life and just starting over? But God says, no, be patient. What you're going through is just exactly the right conditions for what I need you to discover on the other side. 
And they're looking at these coyotes, and they're killing the chickens, and all of a sudden they realize, oh yeah, they'll handle the gophers. And they did, along with the snakes. And pretty soon the whole thing began to find sort of an equilibrium. And at each step of the micromastery of the farm, invariably there would be a challenge. And then after that challenge, there would be some solution right in front of us. Because there was something driving this whole thing that assumed that it was all supposed to work together. And in the church, the scripture promises us that we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The interesting thing about this farm, it wasn't just two people. It was actually a number of people, many volunteers who would come and they were aligned for a purpose with a common belief and as they worked it out, a common trust that God is at work. The one thing I didn't see in this, in this documentary was anybody doing this saying, I believe it's going to be a pretty good farm we have here. If I keep sitting in this chair week after week, month after month, I know it's going to happen. I just know it. And you could approach farming that way, but I'm guessing you wouldn't have much fruit. Or you could find ways to go through everything that is an obstacle in your life and learn to master it. Maybe by asking, what would Jesus do? What would Paul do? What do the scriptures say? And maybe reflecting, because I have to be honest with you, a lot of the challenges that I face here, they're not exactly written out in scripture exactly the way I face them. Or I face them working with Brittany or with Brian and the elders. It's sort of like, intuitively, we start to ask the question in our own mind, Lord, what would you do? And you know what? Can you, can you guys think of anything? Because I, I work with you guys all the time. Anything the Lord said, nah, I have an answer here. It's usually, nah, the problem isn't so much the problem, it's the fact that I'm working in, inside of you to work out the problem. And I could take the view of my faith that, hey, I just want to get you in here. I just want to get you excited about your faith. I just want you to be, maybe have a very entertaining and enjoyable experience. And then beyond that, I hope and I pray that something will happen. I could take that view, but no. I believe so much in what we have in our faith slash belief slash trusting experience in the Lord I just want to see it to grow. I just want to see it grow. And I want to collaborate with people to see it grow. I believe in the church. It's, the church is really the only place that these things can begin to take hold. Just like a farm is the only place that the things that farming can offer can take hold. And either you have a healthy farm or you have a, a, a dysfunctional and broken down farm. Either you have a healthy church or you have a dysfunctional and broken down church. Either you have a healthy life with the Lord or you have a dysfunctional and broken down life with the Lord. And really it's up to us individually first to ask the question, Lord, have I mastered some of the basic things that I need to master? And hey, if you're new to this, no one is expecting you to be a Bible expert. 
Matter of fact, if you've been here a long time, no one's expecting you to be a Bible expert. And I would even go so far as to say, no one is expecting you not to have some failures. And, you know, I hate to say this, but I've tried so many different things in the course of my life. I could be the poster boy for failure. If you want to look at it that way, but I've chosen not to look at it that way because in my, in my dictionary, it's just learning. And if you ain't learning, you ain't trying. And when you try, the scripture promises that it is God who is at work working out that reason why he saved you in the first place. They could have said to the farm, we know that you are owned by the bank and you are in foreclosure and you're doomed to hell, but we're going to buy you and we're going to save you. And they could have just saved the farm and they could have taken people out to occasionally and said, we saved that farm from the bank. And they're like, well, what's it doing for you? Well, nothing really, but we saved it from the bank because those banksters are pretty bad on farms. But we saved it. And God could look at us and he could say, yeah, my son saved you. Because that devil, he's pretty bad on my people, but I saved you. But that's not the point of salvation. Salvation is really just creating the conditions so you can begin to grow. You can begin to thrive. You can begin to become the person that God has designed you to become from the beginning. And so my role in my stewardship of the church, as I look at the faces of, of many of the people that I've known over the years, I've seen that process happen. And I've seen some of you begin to add layer upon layer of your life in the Lord. And the only thing that it has required of you, really, is a spirit of surrender. It says, God, I'm trusting you to help me. A willingness to go into things that are uncomfortable. Pray for people, perhaps. Read the word when you struggle. But making the effort and knowing that as you do, there is a promise embedded in the Holy Bible in Philippians 2 that says it is God at work in me. You're not doing it alone. And when that happens and you show up and you say, God, just lead me into the opportunity, whatever it is. And I know that I won't do it perfectly, but you will be in me. And so it will be perfect in its own way according to your purpose because you're working it all together for good. Trust is a confidence that that is true. And what I especially liked about this documentary was that each place where they were trying to micromaster something, it was a place they had never been before. But they trusted in the premise that it was designed to all work together for good, and they discovered it time after time after time after time. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, I give my best that I can every day. 
I trust God to work through it, but it's imperfect. Every day is imperfect for me. And when I leave here, I just say, God, where I lack, may your grace prevail. But I, I want you to know that if I'm called to do this, give me the competencies I need to be able to do it well. And he will, and he does. Those two L.A. apartment dwellers, pretty incompetent farmers when they started out. But they trusted something that led them to another place in their competencies. You look at me, I'm not going to point the finger at anybody else in here. I will, Sean, because we're good friends. There were moments when we were like, why me? And then along the way, God said, remember when you said, why me? And now you experienced something cool, and it was something I did through you, or was able to, you were able to be a part of, that's why you. And you may be saying to yourself, why me? And I wish I could just fast forward the possible timeline that when you begin to master a little bit of time in the Word, some time in prayer, over the course of any given day, some time of reflection, and some time asking God to help you face the reality in your relationships, to be honest, to own what you need to own, to feel secure enough to do that, and then to begin to grow. Boy, I could just go on and on about this kind of farming because it is pretty exciting. It didn't used to be exciting to me. But when you start to master a few things, and then you start to see it. And those guys didn't really start to see that level of confidence until near the end. When they just had a deep-seated Trust. God's got our back. This thing will work out. And that's where God wants you to land. That's where your parents, when they, they say it's time to lock the basement door and not come back, we trust that you can do it. And God's looking at you and he's saying, if only you knew things I had in mind for you. But we could be like that kid and just say, I'm going to game the system all the way to the end. But I have a feeling God won't let you. He'll keep after you. Because he knows that there's more inside of you that he can make come alive. And the place to begin is the blood of Jesus and his bloodstained cross that says, I'm saved. I'm saved from something for something. And I don't know what that for is for you, but like my own kids, watching them go into that phase, it's pretty cool just watching it kind of unfold, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you hope that in their own way, whatever trouble they run into, maybe they'll say, what would Leonard do? Oh, yeah, he did that. No, we don't want to do that. But what, otherwise, what did he do? What would Jesus do in the course of your week, in your life? Well, I don't need this anymore. As a matter of fact, I don't even really care for it. I would actually give it away if I could, but it's not mine. So we're just going to put this down here. 
And when I'm drinking Insure, I'll come back and get it. No offense to anybody on Insure. Well, I just want you to know that every week it's the process of trying to tune in to what God is doing in our lives, in our church, and then us being open and willing to be a part of it. I hope you find First Christian to be a safe place where people love you. I hope you know we're not perfect and sometimes we will disappoint. But our intent always is to do what we can to honor the Lord with what we have. 